Guru Nation, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, I interview Judy Galindo, who's a site owner that I have heard about before I actually heard about her. I heard about her site, Sun Valley Research Center, which goes to show you how important personal branding and your research site or your business branding is. We're going to discuss this at SaveOurSites.com, SaveOurSites.com, but check out Judy Galindo's link in the show notes. She's one of the best site owners out there, active practitioner, not just a thought leader, but someone who's actually in the trenches with the staff, with the patients, an underserved community. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Huge shout out to my sponsors, Viva Site Vault. Check them out. E-regulatory for free. E-digital signatures for free. E-delegation of duties log for free. Did I mention everything is for free? Go completely E-reg digital. Sites.viva.com. Next sponsor is Versatrial. Organize all your study portals and bookmarks for free. Versatrial, link in the show notes. Next sponsor is Inato. Get studies for free for your sites. For free. Link in the show notes to Inato. I-N-A-T-O. Next sponsor is Creo. Creo is the only one that's not free. But it's eSource, eReg, CTMS, patient recruitment. You can use as much or as little of it as possible. I cannot imagine life without Creo at my site. Check it out in the show notes. Finally, 1N Health. The best, so far the only central patient recruiter I've used that works. Check out One in Health. If you're a site, they don't work with sites one-on-one, unfortunately. But if you're a sponsor or CRO and you're debating on bringing a central recruitment vendor, look no further than One in Health. They're the only ones I want to use, and I've used all of them. They're the only ones whose leads are actually good. And the user experience is actually good for the coordinators, which makes the coordinator want to come back over and over. Thanks to all the sponsors. Enjoy the episode with Judy Galindo and follow her on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. Guru Nation, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share if you're listening. Thank you as well. Uh, I'm here with Judy Galindo. So she's someone that I've gotten to know over the years. You know, Judy... And by the way, her LinkedIn is underneath this video. Go connect, go follow her. You have to. It's an absolute must that you connect with Judy. 18 years in this industry. So <laughs> did you know I knew of your site before I knew about you? Really? And how yep. How did you? Because that? at my site way back in the day in Anaheim, not too far from here, uh, this was like 07, 08, I was doing a study with Neurocrine. Mm-hmm. on tardive dyskinesia uh, and our monitor evie mm-hmm. she said um oh because i talked to her about oh this weekend what are you doing oh i'm going to yuma my wife's from there we're gonna go visit mm-hmm. and she said oh then you pass by and you must know sun valley <laughs> research center and i said no i don't never heard there's a site out there <laughs> and she said yeah there's a site out there and they do pretty good and i drive out there uh, when I need to. And then, so I knew of your site. Oh. So I knew someone was out there. Right. And then over the years, I think cause of YouTube, you reached out to me and then we started connecting. Um, 
but you you inspired me to that you showed me it's possible to do Yuma clinical trials <laughs> because the seed was planted already. Like, right. wow, I never thought they can do research in a place like that. I guess where do they fly into? Right. And it kind of laid the foundation. Like, well, it'd be nice one day to have a site in Yuma. I never thought I would live there. Right. So <laughs> I knew of your site before you. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I just thought of it yesterday. I'm like, how did I? Because they asked here, how do you know Judah? I'm like, ah, it's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> so I cool. knew of your site before okay. you. So your reputation preceded you from good. the site. Well, glad it was positive. You know, we do our best. So. So how did you start with that site? So uh, it was like 16, 17 years ago, um, I worked for a sleep disorders clinic in San Diego and there was a sleep doctor that has his office in El Centro. And so what they did is they try to open a research center with that doctor in El Centro. And I would volunteer to go and, you know, help out train the staff. And I think it maybe existed for a few years. It didn't really work out. Mm. One of the sub eyes it contracted with is my current PI doctor. Inc. So that planted the seed exactly. for you to do it out there. Exactly. And so and when you plan it for me, right? So <laughs> then when, when I wanted to move on from the company, I actually did apply to go be a monitor. Um, I, I don't remember the company. It might've been PPD monitor. I, yeah. I was thinking about that was my next step. Cause I think I had gone from you had being, a bachelor's. Yeah. I went from being a research assistant, starting at the very bottom to helping establish a call center to being a research assistant to the coordinators. Oh, where'd you get your bachelor's? Uh, from San Diego state. So and you're from San Diego. Like yeah. San born, Diego. That's where you're raised. No, I, I mean, I moved there as a baby and that's okay. where I grew up. Grew up. Um, and so that I moved up, I would say to like a manager in training. And so I was ready to move on. And the next thing was like, well, logical, right? You go and be a monitor after you've been at the site level. Yeah. But then when I applied, I realized like, I don't know if I want to jump into that. Like, you know, travel. I was single, I think at that time or I had just finished college. So I would have been able to go anywhere, right? And work anywhere. But then I was like, no, I think I still want to like do something at the site level. And then this opportunity came. Um, I connected with the sub at that time, Dr. Ng. I told him I was moving on. I actually asked him for a letter of recommendation and he's like, nope, come down, visit me. I want to start a site. And that was the oh, rest is history. So he like basically kind of handpicked <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. With another investigator at that time that we had. And they okay. were like, we want to start a site. He's always had um, some experience in research. He had kind of worked on research studies, but not an official research. Center. What do you think he saw in you that made him? We worked well. So when, when he was a sub I for the other company and he saw me go down there and try to help the staff, we just, you know, we clicked, we worked well. He saw that I was, a, I guess, a hard worker. I was willing to do what we needed, a team player to make it successful, even though it didn't work out with that office. Um, and I think he saw that, that probably that was opportunity, that person he needed to get his vision of starting a site off the ground, probably. And it, it, it worked out because we do work well together. Um, and that was 16, 17 years ago that we started with, he had an office, he had space, but there was no center and just over the years. And he had a private practice. Exactly. He was setting it right. up. Right. He already had it. Oh, he so already it was, had it. So he lived out there in Imperial. Yeah. yeah. He had the space, he had the building. And so it was easier to set up a site because he already was established. And the it. same one I visited? Yeah. Same okay. one. So, but the other site that the other site you had visited was in a sense empty. Yeah. And then over the years, we kind of like developed it okay. and then expanded into other parts. So he owns that. The whole property. building. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever live out there? No, since I've always commuted, even with the prior company. Was I it just, ever like every day? 
No, it was always like a few times a week or this was before I had kids. I would actually just go and stay like three nights. You know, I would do wow. Tuesday and Thursday and just kind of make the most of it and then come back to San Diego. So when you guys started, were you like the only coordinator? Yeah. So it started with uh, investigators, myself, and then we actually took, um, we brought on one of the staff he had in the front office who was kind of interested in research. Okay. So we kind of like brought her over and started training her. She's still there. So you trained her. Yeah. Yeah, she's still, she's still there. She's still there to this day. And so we did. And did then I from there, her? Rosie, Rosie, oh, Rosie. Yeah, Sanchez, okay. yeah. Yeah. So she's been there. And then from wow. there, we just added staff over the years. And, 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 but we've had to train everyone from the, the beginning. There's nobody with research experience. You know this. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. So, You're yeah. doing the training panel. Exactly. So it's from the bottom up. We have to, you know, introduce them what is clinical research, all the different things they need to know. It's a lot of work to get someone trained to. A lot. Even a research assistant takes months to get them trained. So imagine a coordinator. And we're still having to do that. So I'm very, thankful now that we have all these other resources because back then it was a lot harder <laughs> to do yeah it yeah. was a lot harder and the well you and i talked about i mean how many employees do you think came through your Ugh. clinic so right now we probably have about 10 um we started with myself that many years ago in between we've had like research assistants pre-screener recruiters some coordinators um, marketing outreach people that kind of like came and went or moved on or moved out of the town or went to pursue like their education in other okay. areas. Um, but for the most part, I've had several who have been there with me for several years. Okay. Because mm -hmm. we started around the same time. I started my site in 05. Mm -hmm. But you've stayed in the same site. Right. This yeah. Whole time. And it's, it's taken a while to grow to where we're at. I think like growing pains with any site. Right. And when I jumped from being I guess kind of like a research manager and trained to be an site owner. There was a lot of things I didn't really know. So it took a while to like learn all those things, mm. contracts, budgets, a lot you of admin to learn stuff. All that right. I didn't really, I wasn't exposed to that previously at my other job. I just knew the coordinator aspect, maybe some of the management aspect. Um, but I knew a little bit about what it took to open a business, but then the other rest of research I kind of had to learn. And Chris, we're over here prepping for our Save Our Sites conference, saveoursites.com. Mm -hmm. Uh, he says you're the most uh, <laughs> fiercest negotiator on I, contracts. You know, I think cause I, <laughs> I ask for a lot and I ask for a lot for a specific reason, because working in Imperial County, doing what we do, trying to recruit patients, it requires a lot. We're in the community. We do a lot of outreach. We advertise. We go to health fairs. It requires a staff of people to do this. But every just, site can say that, though. Right. But we're actually doing it. And so we're actually doing, but it is a lot more work, a lot of time, a lot of cost to do this. So I do require, I do request certain things for the studies that we're working on. And then on top of it, we get this criteria on the protocols that they literally want the most ideal patient for mm -hmm. who has a condition like depression. And we're excluding a majority of the patients who have depression. So then it takes even more work to find the ideal patient. Yeah. And sponsor CROs need to pay for that. Like they, they want us to recruit there's multiple things we need to do. And it's just not one thing that's going to work. Ads don't just bring in the patients at our site. It might work for a lot of sites, but not my site. Do you think because of your location? Because one of the things so. I, yeah. in Yuma, I've noted, I've never had an easier yeah. time. We've been in the same industry, basically the mm -hmm. same number of years. We're the same age, basically. Uh, but I've moved from a site like I had like a five year stint here in Anaheim. Then I did Norwalk, Irvine. San Bernardino, mm -hmm. and now Yuma. Right. But you've been in one place. Right. From all those places, I've never had an easier time getting studies. Right. So getting studies is not the hard part. 
gating participants for the specific studies you work on is the harder part. And then depending what condition you work on, psychiatry, CNS, you know, are very challenging protocols. Now we have this other blood draw study that is extremely easy and we get a ton of patients, but then you go to like a psych CNS protocol. It's different. So it just depends on the condition you're working on. We're also in a community where most people are research naive. More most providers are research naive. They don't work in research. They never yeah. had been exposed to it. So they're not talking to their patients about it. They're not talking to their patients. These patients are not gonna participate in a research yeah. study. They trust these providers, they trust their doctors. If their doctor is recommending, hey, maybe you should look into this trial, maybe this could be an option for you, they're gonna do it. But so that's the challenge we're having. When I say we're educating the community, we're educating the providers as well, not just patients. We're getting to providers. We're seeing what we can do at their office. They might not want to be PIs or sub-I's, but they might want to refer patients. So how do we set that up in their office to make it as easy as possible? And that's where we're at right now. So just for context, I want to come back to that. But just for context, Judy and I's sites are maybe an hour apart. I'm just mm-hmm. a little further east in Arizona. She's basically in the same region. Right. Uh, some of our employees like also applied to your site in the past. <laughs> yeah. like, it's small community. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think because Latinos in clinical research, mm-hmm. so everybody wants the Hispanic participant right. with DEI initiatives. Mm-hmm. Do you think we caught a good wave? Like we're lucky. That's why it's easier for us to get studies because some of our clients don't have as easy of a time getting studies in other parts of the country. I don't want to say it's easier. I think we're in a good community where there's not a lot of competition. We're very experienced in what we do. We've been around. um, My PI has been in the industry for a long time. So our reputation speaks for ourselves. We are able to recruit. We are able to perform. We are able to find these patients. So that's why we have these relationships with the sponsors, CROs, and they're coming back to us with other studies. Um, But they love the Hispanic participants. And that's on top of it. We're in a Hispanic community. We're my office 15 minutes from the border. Yeah, yours is like 80. Mine's like 60, (laughs) 40. Yours is like 80. No, ours is like 75, 80 percent all my staff is bilingual we mm-hmm. you know we recruit english spanish speaking patients we do rating scales in spanish we consent in spanish where do you still do the ratings yeah i don't anymore um but i could mm-hmm. <laughs> but i still do i'm you doing still do them the right ratings? Now, no yeah. i don't because of my time so but now i've grown my staff and expertise on my staff that we have multiple raters now yeah. um we have patients that come from mexicali it's very common when you live in a border town that people work in the U.S., they might live across the border because mm-hmm. it's just the cost of living is less expensive mm-hmm. or vice versa. Um, people, you know, somehow work over there, but they live over here. So people go back and forth. That is what it is. And a lot of our patients are from Mexicali. You get very passionate about the diversity and especially Hispanics because that's mm-hmm. what's in our community. And the sponsors... Um, I don't call it virtue signaling because I think they're trying, but mm-hmm. the efforts are the efforts may be there, but the outcome is not mm-hmm. like the, we're not as empowered to recruit Spanish speaking the same as English speaking mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. Maybe the ICFs are delayed. Right. The EPROs are not translated. I've had some studies tell me, no, all patients need to be English speaking. Mm-hmm. And And you're really passionate about this. Yes, because I think what it comes down to is that we have these medications on the market 
And most of the people that participate in these studies were Caucasian, very few minorities. And we don't know if they actually work. I don't know if these medications work on me or the rest of my family members who have these conditions. So then we see these medications get FDA approved. And then guess what? The pharma reps are coming to my community to push these medications when their data doesn't represent the patients in my community. Hmm. That's an issue to me. Hmm. That is why I'm passionate. I want, I need my patients to participate. We need this data. This information is going to help the providers in my community to better treat these conditions, give them better medications. If there's options that they have to choose from and they know like these other medications work better on Latinos compared to these, then that's going to help them save time to treat those symptoms to help alleviate the pain, you know, people are going through. And I think that's what we don't have with a medication, especially in psych CNS. You know, it takes several weeks, several months to find the ideal patient. I mean, the ideal medication for patients mm -hmm. and it doesn't always work. So you're saying this patient is going to suffer from like depression or bipolar or schizophrenia months and months until you find the ideal medication when there's so much more we can do. Like they shouldn't have to wait that long. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm sure, with other conditions. So that's why I'm really passionate about um, that. We need people to understand that, that why it's important to participate. We need this information because guess what? These are medications you're probably going to be prescribed by your doctor. And if they're mm -hmm. not working, it's because we didn't have that information. Right. And this is where Latinos in clinical research comes in. When we had mm -hmm. the idea, I was like, oh, Judy has to be on this thing right. as one of the founders. Yeah. And then the other side of it is there we have that gap, right? So we're passionate. We know we need that information. But then we have the sponsor CROs creating these protocols mm -hmm. where they're excluding these patients because maybe scientifically mm -hmm. um, behind the scenes, that's what it, it's ideal to have the perfect protocol but then you're not getting that information you need or you're creating these protocols and you only want English speaking patients. Where's you go to conferences way more than me. Mm -hmm. Save our uh, You get invited to yeah. like all these conferences, ACRP, all you go to all of them this year. I'll go to ACRP. It's an <laughs> it's, it's close. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to go. Uh, do you know of any other site that is getting Hispanic patients? The ones that are located in Hispanic communities. So for example, like Miami. How many are there? Well, example, Miami is a large, you know, Hispanic community. So a lot of those sites do recruit Spanish speaking patients. Yeah. Um, maybe there's specific areas, specific cities, maybe LA. I'm some not too in familiar. Texas. Yes, I'm in Texas for sure. Um, but in order to recruit in those communities, specifically Latino communities, um, a lot of times does require you to have the Spanish materials mm -hmm. because there are a lot of Spanish speakers yeah. that don't necessarily yeah. speak English or not enough to understand the consent. So that's why it's important. We and Hispanics are very skeptical. Yeah. Yeah. Especially Mexicans about. Right. Which is trends. why we need to continue to educate these communities, put the information out there, get to their doctors so they understand it a little bit better, which is kind of what we do in our community. We're throwing social media ads out there. What is placebo? What is a consent? Mm -hmm. English and mm -hmm. Spanish. So people can start getting familiar with it. Eventually, over time, you start seeing something, then you start to pay attention. And mm -hmm. that's where we're hoping, which we notice over the years. Then we get these calls where people seem to already understand research. So it's easier to talk about a study compared to years ago when we had Because they've to been people. following your They've stuff been following. Or... They've been reading. I've heard comments from people in Mexicali like, oh, I didn't know what this ADHD study was. And then I saw your ad and I told my friend about it because her kid has ADHD. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're going to call, but at least I share that information. And that's what we want. As far as running a site for 18 years, like, do you see anything for yourself beyond site ownership or 
Yeah, I think the past couple of years we've had all these opportunities to do so much more in the industry. So I would like to continue doing owning a site, running it, possibly have the opportunity to start other sites in other locations, but also do more in the industry, right? If it's educating more people with Latinos and clinical research and doing more in the industry, I want to do that. I think there's so many opportunities, so many things we can do. And I'm kind of open to, to different opportunities. I just don't know. I mean, there's so many things I want to do, right? Like, it's hard. Like, we're working with Latinos in clinical research. We have our site. We're doing SOS. So I have to be careful what I add on my plate because on top of it, you know, I have two little kids, you know, family life. It's hard to balance everything. But I only will take on what I know I can commit to, and then I won't agree to participate in something if I know I'm not going to be able to commit to it or give it that time it needs. And then and just take it year by year, whatever else mm -hmm. I can add on, then take it on. But I think there's so much more. I don't want to do. And the last thing, uh, staff retention. Oh, yes. <laughs> Are you doing pretty good? Yeah, I think overall um, we've had a lot of our staff for many years. Um, I think it's there's a lot going on, you know, in the industry, outside of the industry, a lot of personal things going on with people, especially with COVID, how things were before to after. Um, so how do you keep your staff engaged? How do you keep them interested um, in continuing to come to work uh, when you just work in one therapeutic condition it does get tiring maybe gets where you're um, overwhelmed so then we're trying to grow into a multi-specialty research where we can bring different opportunities different conditions maybe just transition a little bit more to what we were doing to maybe easier studies because like cns are a lot mm -hmm. of it's work like CNS a lot of work <laughs> they're time consuming they've been doing it for 18 years. yes and they require a lot of people so i think sometimes you start to see your staff as like okay all these trainings they got to do and all these things they got to keep up can we make it a little easier for them maybe pique their interest in a different condition and they'll be more motivated internally you know you gotta also appreciate your employees celebrate mm -hmm. their birthdays um do a you're famous for <laughs> annual retreats annual that we do retreat you we go do. to mexico you yeah you? we have a really good relationship with the private practice staff so we share the office in a sense even though we're two separate companies yeah. but we do a lot of things together it's an annual retreat we do for the staff for everyone for everyone um if you've been there like six months or longer we'll try to do a local get together if we can um ah. we we do like um birthday quarterly lunches so whoever's birthday was in that quarter will go out to eat for their birthday oh everyone goes out yeah everybody goes out That's and then cool. we do we celebrate the birthdays internally we you know decorate their their desks we you go flowers. to inferno or where no we'll, we'll let them pick we'll let them pick <laughs> oh, for let them yeah pick. we let them pick right. like whoever their birthday is like where do you guys want to go eat uh -huh. so things like that they make Nothing's a difference off the limits no, well, there's only so many choices in <laughs> You can't go, you know, you only have so many spots. Um, so we try to do a little bit more of that. Um, I think that's what keeps them engaged and wanting to continue working there, right? My clinic, similar setup with the private practice and us. We mm -hmm. have a good relationship too. We're only two years, two and a half almost. I'm already, I don't know if our PI watches, but I told him I'll never steal your staff basically <laughs> but it's hard i was gonna hard. ask you because a lot of times their staff look at us yeah and they're like what do you do how do i do that right and i'm like look you know i can't 
I can't hire you. Mm-hmm. Do you have like rules like this? Or? Yeah. Yeah. That's difficult because I think it's the same way. Like <laughs> we are doing all these things and then we know what they do. They kind of see where, and then maybe there is an interest there. You can't hold anyone back from wanting to right. do more. Right. But what I usually recommend if this comes up with an employee from the private clinic is that they talk to their office manager. Yeah. They talk to the physician and be like, Hey, I'm very interested in going into research. Is there that's a part dangerous to- for them though? It's dangerous. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's, you can't hold them back. No. If they want to, like, yeah. if they're not going to go work with you, they might go work, I don't yeah. know, research, might as well yeah. work with you, right? Because I'm sure um, if we deal with these things, other sites watching also. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon nothing that that's new under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> it's not uncommon, uncommon yeah. that you want, like, the staff to, and it might be easier to train them because they've already yeah. kind of seen what you're doing. So yeah. it might turn out great. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Where do you hope the industry is, like, a decade from now. Oh, man. DCT, um, you think DCT is like going to take over? You know, no. Uh, I think there's components of it that are useful, that could work for some sites, some studies. It doesn't work for every single condition. It doesn't work for every phase therapeutic um, study that we're working on. But I think there are components. I think there's a lot of things we need to fix that aren't working necessarily. Some of these diary, electronic stuff. Some of these radar tablet things, we're still getting a lot of glitches. Um, I'm sure that'll improve over time, but there's components. I don't think 100%. You think CROs are still here in 10 years? Possibly. I mean, they've been around since I think I've been in the industry. You think they're as important in 10 years? Mm, I don't know. It depends because, (laughs) you know, what I've noticed is some sponsors are taking back their studies. I don't know if you noticed that. Tech enables that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, and I think they're just kind of like, not happy with some of these CROs and the way they're managing. I don't know. So I do hope that all these conversations we've had about the things we're not happy with in the industry, we don't have these conversations that that's going to be something in the past. Like, remember when we used to talk about that? I hope so. But if I can go back to think 18 years ago when I started to now, a lot of things have changed. Not a lot. At the same time, does that make sense? Like yeah, slowly, sense. like it's, yeah. I think the most significant changes is back in the day when I started, we were using um, paper CRFs, the three yeah. triplicate copy paper ones. CR, you used to have to fax them with other yeah. copy. I don't know if you FedEx. had to do it. Our monitor Fed- came oh, in yes. FedEx. Right, right, right. And then they keep like yeah. one copy yeah. at the site. Yeah. I remember doing, I think that's significant. Like over time, then you go to paper and then now electronic. Now it's e-source. Now it's e-source, which is, I guess, you know, you start you know, remember all those boxes and binders you used to have? Oh, I'm so glad we got rid of that. So do you think like 18 years ago you had the route to go CRA or site owner? You think you would have been this passionate about all these things if you were a CRA? No, probably not because then I would have jumped into the industry like CRO and maybe I wouldn't have realized all these things that I could change or I could have contributed were happening because maybe I was at the CRO level. You think you would have still been like on stage at ACRP or no? Probably, but as a CRO sponsored perspective, I still would have probably gone because that was my thing. Like once I get tired of a position or I think I've done everything I can, I want to go to the next thing, next thing. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure I would have advanced. I don't know where I would be. You think you picked the right one? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't regret it. And I think about it now. I don't think I, I could go work for a CRO. I could not work for anyone. Because I like. I also a, was going to be a CRE. Right. And yeah. thank God I didn't. Right. Even though it's tough sometimes. Like I think more because I like being a site. I like 
being able to make decisions. I don't have to wait for like a ton of other people to mm -hmm. get an answer. Mm -hmm. um, I have my own schedule. I'm business mm -hmm. owner and I don't see, not that I don't, wouldn't love working for a CRO. It's just working under somebody else's rules, right? Yeah. Like having, I think I don't see myself going anywhere where I have to like do that other than being my own boss. <laughs> Me too. I think 18 years probably only had like four years, maybe five where we lost money as a site, which mm -hmm. that's what people don't talk about. Right. And losing you know, money. and it's funny because I was talking to some of the others that um, co-founders that are here is you have your ups and downs with a site, right? Sometimes you're doing really great. Sometimes you're not. You can have internal issues. You can have staffing mm -hmm. issues, investigator issues, financial issues. Mm -hmm. And that's part of owning a business, but it's not that different than any other business, right? I think Chris was mentioning like the first two years the percentage of businesses don't even last. I, it's I like 80 what, or, Yeah, I think that's what he was yeah. saying. And then five years, if you make it to five years. It's like 90. Exactly. Or. Because there's a lot of things, you know, mm -hmm. if running a site, financial is a huge part of it. A lot of people aren't very experienced in the financial aspect. And if you don't have a good grasp of that, you're not going to succeed and you're not going to be able to be there for the long term. And I think from what I understand, a lot of these site owners go into the industry and maybe they're not that experienced in the financial aspect how all this works. And so they don't last very long. Mm -hmm. um, but I think now there's a lot of resources to help you with that. So you don't experience that. It's yeah, just, we had to learn from Yeah, nothing. me too. I had to like figure it <laughs> out or maybe there's a few in the industry I knew that I would reach out to. Over time, I figured it out. But now I'm like, oh my gosh, there's all these things that I wish would have existed back then. Yeah. But I had to figure it out on my no, own. That's better. We had to figure it out on our right? own. Right, yeah. I think. You appreciate things better. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> You figure out how to problem solve. Exactly. If everything's given to you, I mean, even these videos we do. Right. Well, yeah, you have a blueprint, but you didn't really think much for yourself. Right. No. And I think we can, anything that's thrown at us, we're like, all right, let's figure this out and move on from it. Right. We can't be, we're not going to get stuck yeah. there because yeah. of all this experience we've had over the, yeah, the It increases years your confidence. I exactly. Think. Like at this point, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> like good, bad, whatever happens yeah. throughout the week, let's figure it out and we're moving on. How do we make it better at our site? Whatever else we're doing, right? Well, Judy Galindo, guys, from Sun Valley Research Center. Her LinkedIn's underneath and in the show notes. Click it, connect. She's going to be at Save Our Sites. She should be on every panel. <laughs> she said, no, I only want to be on a few. I mean, I'll step in. I'll give my feedback. <laughs> Any questions anybody has, I'll be we're happy to answer. We're on one together. Yes. Staff so training. So mm -hmm. we'll go in depth. A little bit on yep. that. But uh, thanks for coming on, Judy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Go follow her. Bye-bye. <laughs>